Hello and welcome to the Free Movement Immigration Update podcast. My name is Colin New. I am joined by Sonia Lennigan as ever. And this month we're covering the events of March 2023. Um, we've We've got quite a lot to get through actually this month. We've got a bunch of cases to go through. We've got some fairly major stuff on asylum policy, including the new asylum questionnaires we're going to talk about. And then we're ending with several immigration policy updates as well, including quite a substantial um, statement of changes to the immigration rules. So there's quite a lot to go over. If you are a lawyer and you need um, continuing professional development training, then we provide uh, a monthly quiz you can use to as evidence to keep yourself up to date. Um, and you head over to freemovements.org.uk slash training for that. Okay, um, before we get started, I think I've I've got the first couple of items. Um, Sonia, do you just quickly want to say hello as proof that you're actually here? Hi, everyone. Excellent. Um, right, so diving straight in, um, I'm going to quickly mention a few things. We, we've got so much to cover this month, we're not going into a lot of depth. Um, so the first item is um, permission granted on additional grounds in the Rwanda case in the Court of Appeal. Now, we are recording this, uh, we're a bit behind time because of the Easter holidays, we're recording this on Friday the 21st of April, and on Monday the 24th of April, um, the hearing is actually starting in the Court of Appeal. So um, that's going to be interesting and sort of keep out keep keep an eye out for updates but um there's an item that we published uh, written by jed peddington who's involved in the um in the litigation directly as one of the solicitors about some additional grounds that basically permissions being granted by the court of appeal and they're quite meaty ones as well you know grounds had already been um permission had already been granted on several different grounds it's been expanded and it and it's some of the good stuff basically it's some of the what look, look to me like sort of quite strong arguments doesn't necessarily mean they'll ultimately succeed but they they, they certainly look like um, strong arguments so keep your eyes peeled on, on that front um, I'm also going to mention um, another Court of Appeal case, which, which I, I, we could go into quite a lot of detail on. It's actually a really interesting decision. It's about credibility and corroboration. Um, I don't think we've really got time this month to, to go right through it. It's a case called MAH Bracket Egypt against Secretary of State for the Home Department, 2023 EWCA Civ 216. Um, Josie Laidman, the deputy editor, um, wrote it on the 1st of March, so right at the beginning of the, the month. And it's it's really about it's quite an interesting upper tribunal case um, where the tribunal really messed up basically on refusing um, refusing the the appeal really on the the main basis that somebody hadn't done things that they would have expected them to do sort of applying what the tribunal would have thought of as being common sense and that is really a classic bad reason for refusal you know refusing because somebody hasn't done something you would have expected them to is really leaving yourself open to 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 an appeal and that's what's happened here so um i'd really recommend people have a look at that blog post and also um if you're if you're an asylum lawyer have a look at the the full judgment as well it's an interesting one and um yeah but i'm not i'm not going to cover that in any more detail right now um, yet another court of appeal case to to cover. I think we've got some, <laughs> we've got some more coming, which Sonia's going to cover in a minute. Um, this is another meaty one. Again, I, I I don't think this one's going to be um, a last word necessarily, but this is a disappointing ruling. Um, perhaps not surprising, but but still disappointing from the court of appeal on the prosecution of those who are arriving in small boats. And it's it's all about the change in law that we saw with the Nationality and Borders Act 2022. It's reformed the criminal offence of, of entering the UK, essentially. Um, and it, it's really about whether there is a 
kind of broad, generic defense based on law um, rather than um, rather than an individual defense based on being a refugee. And essentially the case fails, so the, the, the challenge fails. I wouldn't be surprised if that ended up going further. It's perfectly possible this might find its way into the into the Supreme Court. Um, the arguments are pretty technical, but that really matters in criminal law um, because obviously, you know, being found guilty of something and being sent to prison is a is a very serious consequence. So the courts do tend to be pretty um, alive to these kinds of technical arguments here. And um, you know, again, it wouldn't be a surprise if there was some drafting mistakes you know perhaps the policy intentions of the drafters haven't quite been uh made legally watertight should we say by the by by the way that it was framed in the in the new law and so on but anyway it's it's a disappointing result and it means that the the individual prosecutions go ahead it doesn't mean that there is no defense available to those still being prosecuted so they can still potentially run a defense based on being a refugee um and based on on the refugee convention based on abuse of process but there's no generic defense is, is, is essentially the ruling by the Court of Appeal here. Um, I don't think I've actually given you the name of the case. It's R against Ashari Mohammed and others, 2023 EWCA CRIM um, 211, because it's the criminal division of the Court of Appeal. Right. Okay. That covers the first three. They're pretty big cases. Um, Sonia, you are going to cover the next one. Yeah. So the next one is legal challenges against GPS tagging for people on immigration bail. Um, this is another one from Jed Pennington, and this is on legal challenges to the Home Office's policy and practice of requiring people on immigration bail to wear global positioning system GPS devices. Uh, Wilsons have had five judicial review cases where they've challenged people who have had GPS tags attached to them, and all five of those cases have been settled after permission was granted. I mean, essentially, if you have a client who is tagged, then you really must read this article. Um, For example, uh, Jed sets out that electronic monitoring must be reviewed at certain intervals and at least quarterly. And in a number of the Wilson's cases, this review had not been carried out. Um, So, yeah, essentially, um, just read the case if you have anyone who is tagged, which is quite likely given how widely they're rolling it out now. Um, Jed also sets out useful procedural points and issues around data protection as well. Yeah, it's it, it's absolutely endorse what you say there, and it, and it looks a lot like you know if you've got a half decent case, bringing a claim is a good way to 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 resolve the issue for your client essentially, because the Home Office looks like they're conceding a lot of these. Um, okay, so moving on to another um, meaty case. This one's um, High Court. Um, I might struggle here a bit with the pronunciation. It's a case called um, Kolumbigov against Home Office, um, twenty twenty three EWHC three three seven KB. And it's an interesting. So this is a write-up by um, Joseph Sinclair, and it's um, it's an interesting one about when potentially uh, somebody might be eligible for damages for loss of work on the basis of an interference uh, breach of, of, of Article Eight. Um, and the particular claimant in this case does not succeed. Um, and brought the claim as a litigant in person. So the judgment isn't, you know, that it wasn't understandably as a litigant in person, wasn't bringing a kind of um, full set of legal arguments uh, on everything or indeed a full set of evidence on, on all the relevant stuff here. Um, but it's an interesting judgment, as, as Joseph says, um, potentially you know, outlining a route forward where there may be some cases where a, a, a good claim could be brought 
um, and it kind of goes through the previous cases. Um, and it, it, it's not excluding the possibility that some claims might succeed. So it's quite um, it's quite an interesting judgment, quite a, a thoughtful blog post there, I think, by Joseph. So I'd recommend that to, to people as a kind of general bit of background reading to, to think about in, in, in the course of their practices. Um, Sonia, I think back over to you for the next one. Uh, so this one is no recourse to public funds policy found unlawful in brackets again. Um, we trailed this one in the last podcast because we were that desperate for any any good news. Um, but now we've got a full article up on free movement, which is by Ben Amunwa, who was counsel in the case. Um, the, the list of successful challenges to the no recourse to public funds policies, they're set out in the article, and this is number five. This one is to do with people who have a disability who may require access to benefits, even if they do not meet the definition of destitution. Uh, The Home Office's policy equality statement on NRPF acknowledges that disabled applicants um, often encounter particular difficulty in providing the required evidence of destitution. Um, And yeah, essentially, the two claimants had both had their change of conditions applications refused and were arguing that the decision maker had given little or no consideration to their disabilities. There were several grounds for the judicial review, including that the policy failed to reflect the um, Home Office's Secretary of State for the Home Department's equality duties. This case was actually settled by consent, uh, which is quite interesting, given the Home Office has really been fighting these cases to try and avoid uh, decisions being made by the court. The order states that the rules and guidance are unlawful for their failure to instruct caseworkers adequately in relation to exceptional circumstances and or disability as grounds for potentially requiring recourse to public funds to be granted to people who may not be destitute or imminently destitute. Uh, The expectation was that the policy would be updated in autumn 2023. However, the article then has an addendum as the immigration rules were changed in the meantime. However, Ben does raise concerns about whether that change is consistent with what is required in the order and says we'll need to see how it is actually applied in practice. So round six is yet possible. Uh, The other thing I would just flag up is Ben commented that decision-making time for the change of conditions applications has reduced in the most recent statistics. But I've spoken to Unity Project recently and they said actually that reduction needs to be looked at in the context of the backlog, which is increasing substantially. So decisions may have been made marginally faster, but the backlog is big and getting bigger. I think there was a similar issue with um, the EU settled settlement scheme where decisions were being made within certain timeframes, but actually there was just this huge backlog of cases that were not being decided. So that's just something to bear in mind with that figure. Yeah, and these things are bad enough anyway at the the best of times. But then when you've got sort of great big backlogs and great big waiting times, it all just makes it worse, doesn't it? Um, yeah, and like you say, it's it, with a record of um, five, you know, successful challenges. It would be no surprise if um, if there was a sixth. And um, Ben and his solicitors at um, I think it's Dayton Pierce Glynn, aren't they? Um, yes, seem to be seem to be really onto this. So yes, um, it's Adam work. Hunt and his team. Yeah, good work by them. Um, okay, I think you are on. You're on the next one. I think you've got a few to go, actually, Sonia. So just you, um, you. All right, I'm going to charge on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So high hurdle for hotel accommodation challenges. That is MQ and Secretary of State for the Home Department. Um, so this was in the High Court, and it was an unsuccessful challenge. 
to the policy. The claimant was a mother who had spent months in a hotel room with her two young children awaiting dispersal to a self-contained flat. They claimed asylum in January 2022, were accommodated in a hotel as initial accommodation. They were then granted full support but left in the hotel. So it was argued that the Secretary of State was applying an unpublished policy for prioritising dispersal. So dispersal is done in date order generally. Um, It was argued that there was a threshold of exceptional circumstances that had to be met for people to be moved faster than date order. And they were also arguing that insufficient regard was had to the best interests of dependent children. The judge found that there was no unpublished policy. The Secretary of State denied that one existed. Um, What is interesting, though, is that while the policy challenge was unsuccessful, the claimant and her two children were moved to dispersal accommodation two weeks after the claim was lodged. And the author of this article, uh, Temo Lay, he gives some distressing examples of recent cases where people have been stuck in unsuitable accommodation for lengthy periods, but says that lodging claims does get results. The same with the GPS GPS cases we've just discussed. Um, The other thing I would say is that I would recommend that people read the case itself, which is linked to in the article, because it it makes some preliminary points uh, around CPR compliance, uh, particularly in relation to witness statements where the person is not giving their evidence in English. And there are also there were also issues raised about the expert report being non-compliant with CPR. So I would really recommend that people click through and read that case itself because it's always useful to have those reminders about CPR and you know everything that we should and shouldn't be doing in relation to making sure that that we're compliant. Um, okay, I'm going to move on to the next one, which is refusals of naturalization on good character grounds, can only be challenged by irrationality. So this case is Sandy and Secretary of State for the Home Department, 2023, in the admin court. Uh, Mr. Sandy is from Sierra Leone, and he was granted asylum in November 2001. He's now married with children and works as a nurse in an NHS hospital. This was his third application for naturalization, which was refused. All of them were refused on good character grounds, stating that he was responsible for aiding the war crime of intentionally directing attacks involved in a peacekeeping mission, and that this was compelling evidence of strong countervailing circumstances. The main issue in this case was whether proportionality or irrationality was the correct standard of review, and the conclusion was that irrationality was the correct test in these naturalization cases. Uh, in doing so, the judge used some fun language around uh, about cuckoos and Wednesbury hatchlings, which I found was quite amusing. Um, and then moving on to the decision itself, it was held that there was no irrationality here and the claim was dismissed. Then the next one I'm gonna, just going to mention very briefly is amended data protection exemption for migrants declared unlawful. And that is a case brought by the 3 million and Open Rights Group. And it was in the High Court. It's the second attempt by the government to exempt immigration data from the Data Protection Act and the second time that it has been held to be unlawful. The exemption states that subject access requests could be refused by the Home Office and privately contracted companies on the grounds that it may prejudice the maintenance of effective immigration control. And this was found to be incompatible with Article 23 of the UK General Data Protection Regulation. 
Um, I found it interesting that I think this data came from the 3 million, um, but it says in around 66% of these requests made in the first months, first five months of the existence of the new immigration exemption, the Home Office failed to provide a full response, citing immigration control as the reason. Such extensive use of the immigration exemption shows that clear and precise safeguards are necessary. And I mean, everyone knows how important these subject access requests are to find out what's going on with your client's case so much of the time, especially when there are lengthy delays. Um, I was discussing this with people last night. I've personally had two subject access requests where um, once I got those, it was discovered that the person had been granted indefinite leave to remain and not notified by the Home Office. And the person I was talking to about this said she also had several examples of this. So, you know, this is important stuff. And I'm not surprised that the Home Office keeps trying to prevent people from accessing it. Yeah, it's it's one thing if you could trust the Home Office. Um, yeah, you could see how, from their point of view, you can see how subject access requests are pretty irritating um, and, and resource intensive as well but they just can't do their basic job properly at the home office and so it makes it you know this is a really important safeguard for people um yeah yeah um okay right so we're gonna move on to something completely different now um i said to sonia before we got started this is you know don't really need to cover this from a kind of legal update point of view but um it just it really this really made me cross in in march so there was a, a, a what i thought was a very big story but was uh really not extensively covered um in in you know what some people call the mainstream media uh, and this is um this is about the uk um international or so-called international aid budget and basically the home office has spent about a third of it on domestic uk asylum accommodation costs and they are allowed to do that um according to international spending rules um but you know whether they should do it is is another matter and of course the problem is that the international aid budget is capped um it was very very slightly expanded um to 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 allow for some of this but the impact has been dramatic cuts to um the uk international aid response to what from what we'd expect so there's been a very limited uk response to the pakistan floods there's been a much much more limited response than in previous years to the developing famine in the horn of africa and instead that money has been funneled into private firms and hotels here in the uk um which is is just so aggravating and a while back i was thinking to myself you know what, how is it that the home office is spending so much money on asylum accommodation and why aren't they doing something about it and the answer is that it's not their budget they don't mind spending all this money although although that is going to um, the, the the rules on international aid um, spending and allocate, allocation mean that you're allowed to do it for the first year. But I'd have thought that given the backlog has gone up so much um, just in a very short space of time, um, that next year this has to come out of the Home Office budget, which has been, you know, we've got an item actually right right at the end, I think, covering this, um, looking ahead to, 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 to the next year and to the, to the budget. Um, so where they're actually going to where they're going to get the money from to to spend on 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 the backlog i don't i don't know in future but anyway it is a really aggravating story um it, it's i think a very important story as well the the report was published by the independent commission for aid impact um icai i hadn't come across them before other than some research they were doing um but you know they, it, it's a really important big thing frankly and you should read that blog post and have a look at the report 
Okay, rant over on that. Um, Sonia, you're going to talk about something a bit more um, vital to practice, um, which is, is really the new asylum questionnaires and some of the attempts that we've seen to, to deal with the backlog um, to some extent. Yes, Sai. Um, so the first article is, are the new asylum questionnaires fit for purpose? This one just highlights the multitude of issues with the questionnaire, including length, complexity, and the fact that some questions seem impossible to answer in a way that would aid swift decision-making. One example is on trafficking. They just have one question, and it, it says, were you subject to human trafficking, and sets out the legal definition. Now, bear in mind, the Home Office has suggested to people that they use an online translation tool uh, if they are unable to access legal advice. So obviously that is wildly problematic. I think it'll be interesting to see what proportion of cases where a questionnaire has been returned, the Home Office then decides that an interview is still necessary. It also seems that all the questionnaires have been sent out at the same time with a 20-day deadline, yet the deadline set by the Prime Minister remains the end of the year. So it seems likely that some people who are returning questionnaires now will perhaps not get a decision until towards the end of the year. But it's all very unclear still. Um, then the next one, the next article, assisting with the new asylum questionnaires, OISC level one caseworkers and volunteers. So Refugee Action has produced guidance for unregulated or people who are regulated by OISC at level one, um, and also for volunteers who are helping people with these asylum questionnaires. Essentially, this is to prevent people from accidentally committing a criminal offence by providing immigration advice while unregulated. Um, Re Refugee Action have also provided guidance for the people who receive the questionnaires, so the person who is claiming asylum. So anyone who is trying to help with this situation needs to go and have a look at that article. And then the third one is Home Office Publishers Guidance on Streamlined Asylum Processing for Children. The first thing I would flag up is that the the top five high grant nationality countries um, are slightly different for children. It's Afghanistan, Eritrea, Sudan, Syria, and Vietnam. Uh, so this policy covers unaccompanied and accompanied children, and also those who turned 18 while waiting for a decision. Now, and this is a real head in hands situation. So this streamlined process provides for a preliminary information meeting and, you know, how this is different to an asylum interview is above my head, I'm afraid. Um, the policy states that it that preliminary information meeting will not be delayed to facilitate attendance by legal representatives, which is very concerning. Uh, the meeting will also not be recorded, but a written record will be provided. I would point out that while the Home Office seems to think that legal reps are not needed at that meeting, the Legal Aid Agency has ex accepted that they should be paying for lawyers to attend those meetings with children. So that is something that is positive. Um, as pointed out in the article, the only obvious distinction between this and a substantive interview is that credibility issues should not be raised during this meeting. If credibility issues do arise or further information is needed for another reason, then a substantive interview will take place. Uh, the article highlights the absurdity of this additional step of the meeting, which follows a welfare interview that will have already asked many of these questions and the submission of a 42-page statement of evidence form, which is generally accompanied by a detailed witness statement. 
This is all still required under the new policy, and yet this is a process that is somehow supposed to reduce delays. Um, The article also points out that in their experience, the delays are largely down to the Home Office's inability to carry out interviews in a timely manner, and yet this process just introduces more interviews. It's just, it's such a crazy, it's such a crazy thing to do. And it's, it's so symptomatic of some really fundamental problems at the Home Office as well. And just total lack of respect for people apart from anything. I mean, sending out what thousands, tens of thousands, I don't know how many of these questionnaires, giving everybody 20 days, and then obviously the Home Office won't be able to process them for ages. Um, Yeah, it's just utterly pointless and self-defeating. uh, it's really, it's really very aggravating, um, and it's not a good way of dealing with the backlog at all. And no, and as- it, yeah, it means that people will not be able to access lawyers because lawyers simply can't deal with that volume, especially if you are focusing on a s- specific nationality as your client group. Then how are you supposed to deal with all of this at the same time? Yeah, it's just, it's really, it's just nuts. It's nuts. I suppose the one, you know. <laughs> if there was sort of an unstated, publicly unstated um, policy of sending these out as a prelude to just getting on and granting asylum to everybody that you sent them to, irrespective of what's in them, um, but, you know, looking like you're going through the formalities, I suppose it would still be very disrespectful and aggravating, but at least there would be a good outcome to it. But there's no evidence that that's actually the case at the moment. No. And I mean, the amount of stress that this causes for people who don't understand what is in this thing and are unable to get a lawyer, you know, that's huge. And to put people through that for, you know, just for the sake of it, that's just wrong. Yeah. And um, it's for the sake of it. That's, exact, that's exactly, yeah, exactly. It. It's for the sake of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I should say, I don't know. Um, I should have said this earlier in the podcast. Um, I've, I've got some scaffolders who are busy taking down some scaffolding. Um, it's a block of flats opposite, opposite my house. So that might explain the weird noises that you can hear in the background if they get picked up by the microphone. Um, okay. So uh, another, another quick item from me, which is kind of consistent with that, at least anyway, which is um, the um, annual report by um, David Neal, the Chief Inspector of Borders and Immigration, uh, which was um, sent to the Home Secretary apparently on the 8th of July 2022, um, nine months before it was eventually published, which is symptomatic of, of the kind of Home Office approach to publication of, of Neil's reports. And you know, not just Neil, he shouldn't take this personally, it was also his predecessors. Um, and it, it makes pretty grim reading, really, because again, just highlighting the same sorts of themes that we've seen year after year from Neil himself and from his predecessors and also in the individual reports about just a a sort of lack of planning at the Home Office, um, a failure to get a grip on on kind of current priorities and resources, um, some of which I suppose, you know, to be to be fair to the Home Office, you know, it's a really difficult job and the stuff happens that they don't expect, but they should be expecting not to expect it. You know, there's, there's just no slack in the system. And when stuff goes wrong, they've just got no way of dealing with it. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty depressing report. And if you want an overview of what is wrong with the Home Office uh, in this day and age, then that's a, a useful place to start anyway. Um, now, I think that wraps up our, our main sort of asylum um, bit of overlap there at the end with with immigration stuff. Um, Sonia, you've got the unenviable task of, of attempting to address statement of changes to the immigration rules, HC1160. Although, you know, read the blog post, I think we'd say. I was going to yeah. say, I feel like Josie had the real unenviable task here of writing the thing. 
yeah, and she turned it around very quickly and very well. So, um, yeah, Josie's a, just a bit of a hero uh, generally and specifically on this one as well. So um, do you want to sort of try and give us a, a, a summary of, of what's in there? Yes. So essentially, this covers changes to the Electronic Travel Authorization Scheme, which is set out in New Appendix Electronic Travel Authorization. You'll be shocked to hear. Um, so this is going to be rolled out to nationals of Qatar from the 15th of November this year, and it will be rolled out to six more countries um, that are all in the Middle East, I think, from 15th of February next year. There is also new Innovator Founder Route, which replaces Innovator and Startup Routes, Uh, Nicola Carter wrote an article about the old innovator route that described it as not fit for purpose. And I've already seen some skepticism about this new route on Twitter, but we'll see what the uptake is. Uh, There's also salary changes. The minimum salary requirement for skilled workers has been increased from 25,600 to 26,200. There are also other changes in the employment routes. There are changes to lawful and continuous residence. I would highlight that lawful residence does not include time spent on immigration bail anymore. Um, There are also changes to the rules for returning residents and to EU settlement scheme. Those changes are around durable partners and Zambrano. And then also simplification, our favourite little project. So that includes adult uh, adult dependent relatives and refugee family reunion, and as Josie points out, uh, refugee family reunion, it's not just been simplified, but it's also been made more restrictive. And I mean, making those sort of policy changes via a simplification project is one small part of why I'm very cynical about this whole process. Um, so that is my very, very quick summary. But I mean, everyone should read that article, basically, as is the case whenever there's a new statement of changes. Thanks very much, Sonia. That was truly succinct. Um, I, I, I'm down to cover the um, appendix adult dependent relative um, thing, which we've got a specific blog post on by by John Vasiliou. Um, I don't think there's really too much to say other than, you know, it has been, basically, it's been transplanted into kind of appendix form. There is one thing that John specifically flags up. I don't know if we've heard any more about this, but the um, there's what sounds like is an unintended change to the substance of the rule. So basically, the, the, the substance of the rules is supposed to be the the same it's just that the language and the structure has been changed slightly um but in fact it looks like um both the applicant and if if there's a partner um also have to meet all of the substantive requirements of the rules whereas it used to be just the applicant not partner that the main applicant not partner and it sounds like that's unintentional um sonia have you heard any more on that since it sounds like there no. might be a tweak to the rules up again no no so uh, i think ilpa are onto this and so um if this is something that's directly affecting an application you're involved with, then it's it's worth being in touch with Zoe Bantelman at ILPA about it. Um, I was also going to quickly mention um, some spring budget migration announcements, which came out, I think, shortly after the um, uh, statement of changes. This is just really just to flag some things up quickly. Um, apparently, we're expecting some changes to the business visitor visa route in autumn 2023, um, apparently expanding the range of short-term business activities that can be carried out for up to six months. Uh, also, a review of permitted paid engagements, um, presumably because the, the rules are just so res- unnecessarily restrictively framed and rather than rewriting the rules they're just going to kind of make them more long and complicated um a review of um, some of the shortage occupation stuff so some construction workers have been added to that although 
Not that that really makes much difference in this day and age. No exemption from the English language requirement, which is one of the real barriers there. Um, Some announcements on Ukraine visa scheme employment support, which could be useful to some people. And then also an announcement that the Home Office budget is going to be um, cut. So it's going down from 16.9 billion in 2023-20, sorry, 2022-23 to 15.4 billion in 2023-24. At the same time that um, Home Office asylum costs look like they are about to go up very substantially because of the detention and removal costs of the illegal migration bill um, and the growing backlog. And because also, as I sort of mentioned earlier, um, the international aid rules mean that after a year of being somebody being inside the UK, you can't fund their accommodation out of the international aid budget anymore. So it'll have to come out of the home office budget. So um, God knows what they're going to cut. Um, in order to to fund you know those cuts plus those additional costs um so that'd be um interesting and probably depressing to see and i guess we may see um it's only just popped into my head but we may see um visa fee increases which we haven't really for for a few years now so um, yeah i was just thinking the same thing as you were saying that yeah yeah depressing um okay so sonia i think there's a couple of things for you to finish off with and then we are more or less done for the month i think Yes. Okay. So first of all, an article by Baroness Hamwe, All Families Matter, an inquiry into family migration. So uh, she's drawing attention to the fact that the Lords Justice and Home Affairs Select Committee has recently published a report called All Families Matter, an inquiry into family migration. And as anyone who works on these cases will be able to guess, this is uh, quite a depressing read. Uh, the Home Office's response was just there are a number of family visa routes available for partners, spouses, children and adult dependent relatives of those already settled in the UK. Obviously, we know all of the issues with those routes. Those are set out in the report. It seems that a more substantive response is expected. So I guess watch this space. Um, yeah, so that's that one. Uh, and then last but not least, government authorised exchange. One visa, 40 options. Um I think it was Nicola Carter who wrote this one. It's an update to a previous post that I did find quite amusing. Originally, when it was published, it was government authorized exchange, one visa, 60 options. So that kind of summarizes all of home office policy, I think. Everything is getting worse and more restrictive. So this is for, um, for example, for internships. It's for individuals coming to the UK through approved schemes that aim to share knowledge, experience, and best practice. Um, if you think you have someone who that might apply to, then go and read that article. Thank you very much. And um, just to wrap up, I, I suppose it's something that I've, I've read just now, and we haven't really covered it on the on the blog post. I, I got um, the very occasional email, <clears throat> excuse me, very occasional email newsletter from um, excellent organisation Migration Observatory, based at the University of Oxford. And um, they've published something relatively recently on the minimum income requirement for um, spouses. And I think the kind of headline is that um, because the level of 18,600 hasn't changed since it was introduced in 2012, if you're on the minimum wage, 
on a, in a full-time job, you should now be able to meet that. Whereas you know, at the time that it was introduced, it was just outrageous that if you're on a minimum wage job, you, there's nothing you could do. There's just nothing you could do in order to meet that, that requirement. Whereas that's at least no longer the case. And so the sort of discrimination is now really about part-time workers. And of course, that's disproportionately women. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's an interesting one, but, um, as let's we'll try to end on a, on a happy note, but this is a terrible note to end on. Is that going to be reviewed? You know, is the government looking at increasing it? There have been noises suggesting that the level's going to go up. And, um, I think we can all just sort of keep our fingers crossed and hope that that is not the case. Sonia, I can see, I, we, we record this with a video. I can see you look like you really want to say something. <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say, if you'd like stopped before you did that last bit, it would have been good news. It was it like, yeah, been. if you're on the minute, yeah, but then you like ruined it. I've ruined it. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sonia. Okay, well, that wraps things up for um, March 2023. And um, we'll be back in the not too distant future, really, um, covering April. It's just um, a week or so, uh, well, two weeks away from the, the, the end of the month. And we'll try and end on a happy note next time. So I'll try not to ruin it next time. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody, and goodbye. <laughs>